Um, spiritually healthy people um, and spiritually healthy churches are people in churches of prayer. Prayer is, uh, we can't really, we can't overemphasize the importance of prayer in the Christian life. Uh, it's, it's been said before that prayer spiritually is like breathing physically. It's supposed to be, that's why the Bible tells us to do it unceasingly, right? You, you read, ever read that and think, how in the world am I supposed to pray unceasingly? Well, the idea is you're supposed to be in constant communication with God. Uh, throughout your day, it's supposed to be as natural for you to pause and pray or take a thought to the Lord as it is for you to gasp for air. Um, it's just supposed to be an unending um, part of our life. Um, you can't overemphasize it. In fact, I love the quote um, that, uh, from Cliff Burrows. Cliff uh, Barrows. Cliff Barrows worked for Billy Graham for decades in his crusade ministry. And he said, he said, when Billy Graham was asked about the most important steps in preparing for an evangelistic outreach or crusade, he always answered that there were three things that mattered most. Prayer, prayer, and prayer. Right? You, you just can't overemphasize it. And the same is true for the Christian life. The same is true for the church. Uh, the three most important things for spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, progressing in the Christian life uh, is prayer, prayer, and prayer. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the key uh, to a God-glorifying Christian life and to a healthy church. And the theme of these 21 days, like I said, will be transformation. So we're going to be kind of praying around that theme these next few weeks in, 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 our, in our services as well preaching through that, you know, our, our vision as a church is to be a catalyst for gospel transformation in Orlando and beyond. And so this idea that we want to see the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, transform our lives as individual, individuals, transform our church corporately, but also we want to see transformation in, in the world around us. And so, so that's going to be key to our prayer emphasis these next, few, these next few weeks. And so when you leave today, make sure you pick up one of the cards. There's also some other sheets uh, back there at the back. Uh, with specific prayer requests for the church, um, with uh, things like our mission and vision statements and uh, a, a, a list that's got all of our committee members on it, council members, so you can pray for them by name, just other tools to give you as you pray over these next few weeks, and particularly week two as we really focus in on our church family. So week one, uh, we're going to be praying, transform me. That's kind of the heart behind our prayer, and then that's uh, us as individual people. And then week two, it's transform us. And we're going to be focusing on ourselves as a church family, and particularly as North Park. And then week three, transform the world, the world around us, our city, our state, our nation, our neighbors, the, the world around us that we have influence in. And so today, I want to talk about this topic of praying, God, transform me. A lot of times we pray, God, protect me, God, provide for me, God, bless me. Encourage me, help me, and all of these are good things to pray. Nothing wrong with any of those, any of those prayer, prayers, but they're, but they're safe prayers, right? Well, those are pretty safe. In fact, in a lot of ways, they're, they're prayers for safety, <laughs> so they're really safe prayers. But God transform me, that, that's not a real safe prayer. Transformation is not safe. It, it shakes up the status quo by very definition. And our human nature is we don't like change, but when we pray for transformation, we are praying for change. And, it, and that's key in the Christian life. And so change me to be more like Jesus. Change me to be more the person you want me to be, to help me to love and obey your word, uh, to, to walk in line with your will. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18, a verse uh, that I quote quite often. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, we all, all of us believers, with unveiled face, right, because the, the veil has been torn from before us, we can see clearly now because of the gospel, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. We are progressively becoming more like Jesus, he says, as we behold his glory. And the way we do that is through his word, right? As we, as we see Jesus more clearly through the word. And he says, this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So he says, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in every believer's life is to take the word of God, help us to see Jesus more clearly in it so that we become more like Jesus progressively in the Christian life. That's what spiritual growth is all about. That's the goal of the Christian life, ultimately, to become more like Jesus, to know him and to make him known. And so we need to always take our needs before the Lord. The Bible tells us to do that as well. Can I tell you this morning, you have no greater need than to know the Lord Jesus and to make him known and to become more like him. And your relationship with him is your greatest need. It is our greatest need. So we need to make sure that in our prayer lives, we're always getting our goals in line with God's goals. Because God's goal for us is to spiritually mature and become more like Christ. God is more interested in making me and making you like Jesus than he is in our comfort, our wealth, things like that. His main goal is to see Christ formed in us. Uh, that's, I mean, that's the main thing. And so if all of our prayers center around all these other things that aren't bad things, but they're not centered around becoming like Jesus, then we're not praying in line with God's will, right? Because God's main goal for you and main goal for me is to make us more like Jesus. And well, in Psalm 139, in verses 23 and 24, we get a prayer of King David's. It's a prayer that I believe, when answered by God, is a prayer of transformation. It's a great example of one. So I want you to look at it with me. It's, it, it's, it's a, it's a life-changing prayer if you pray this and God answers the prayer. So look with me. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. There's two verses this morning, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So notice there in just those two verses, all those personal pronouns. You see that there? Verse six there, you've got, um, uh, excuse me, you've got six there in those two verses. Me, my, me, my, me, me. Very, it's a very, not selfish prayer, but it is a very self focused prayer. David is praying here for himself. It's not search them. It's not know them. It's not lead them. It's not lead my spouse. It's me. Lead me. It's search me. It's, it's know me. It's try me. David knew, David knew like we need to know, that he needed God and that he needed God's help. It's a very relational prayer because David understood that he had a relationship with God. And so this tells us, it reminds us that transformation, spiritual transformation in your world has to start with you, right? And that's hard for us sometimes because it's very easy, it's human nature for us to focus on other people. <laughs> uh, our, our culture reinforces that, the patterns of our life reinforce that. And I don't mean that in focusing on others in the sense of like serving them, I mean like the comparison game, right? So you open up your social media, you open up Facebook or Instagram or something like that, and you're immediately, before you know it, you're, you're seeing, man, all this stuff, and if you're not careful, you be, comparison begins to happen, right? Their day versus your day, right? Their life versus your life, their family versus your family. And we do the same thing when we go to work. We call it keeping up with the Joneses, right? We've always called it that, trying to keep up with other people, but it, it really gets so much bigger than that. 
And it really has a way of creeping into our spiritual lives. And if we're not careful, we're really good at inspecting kind of the lives of other people. And we'll begin to look and we'll say, well, I'm, I'm not the godliest person, but at least I'm not like, or at least I've never done that, right? And what we're doing there is we're comparing our lives to someone else's. We're comparing our sin list maybe and our mistakes to someone else's. And we have to be aware of that. If you want to experience life change, it starts with God working in you. In you, right? And, and not asking God to search others and not asking God to point out sins to others and the grievous ways of others and how others have grieved you, but asking God to show you your grievous ways and asking God to search you and asking God to know you. Getting honest with God, crying out to God, spending time with God, seeking personal transformation. You know, Psalm 139 is one of the greatest psalms uh, of all of them. It was penned by King David, as I said, and it's been called over the years the crown of the psalms just because it's so rich. It's an incredibly popular psalm. It's a powerful prayer that David is praying if you look at the first two verses, um, just to kind of put this, these last two verses in context, um, in the first two verses, David prays this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And it's this idea of God searching and knowing is kind of the bookends of the psalm. It's the theme of the psalm. He begins with it and he ends with it. And it's the very heart of what he's getting at here. He, he, he begins with this sort of, this awestruck wonder at how God has searched and known him. And then he ends his prayer in awestruck prayer that God would search, that asking God to search and know him. He says he has, and then he asks him to. And I'm going to explain why I think that is here in a moment. And, and when you look at those first six verses they, uh, of Psalm 139, they actually focus on David's awe of God's omniscience. Omniscience means the fact that God knows everything, right? I don't know everything. You don't know everything. The devil don't know everything. Nobody, nobody knows everything except God. And God knows everything. And David, in the first six verses, he's just, one, just man, he's just struck with wonder at how God knows everything. And then in verses 7 through 12, David is in awe of God's omnipresence, the fact that God is everywhere. He says, I go here, I go there. No matter where I go, I can go to Sheol. I can't get away from you. No matter whether you go to heaven or hell, he's like, I can't escape. God is everywhere. His presence is just everywhere. Can't get away from God. In verse 7, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I cannot get away from you, he's saying. And then in verses 13 through 16, David's in awe of God's Creative power. He wonders at how God could make him, how, how God has known him ever since the beginning. How God could make him and, and form him in the, in the womb. He's saying, he said, man, e even before anything, before anybody saw me, you were knitting me together in my mother's womb. That wasn't just true of David, by the way, right? Every baby that's ever been conceived is being knitted in the womb by God. They're special and unique creations by God. That's why we're pro-life as believers. We believe life begins at conception. We've walked through that part of that psalm before. David understood something that's very important to understand, especially in our culture. Life begins there. God's creating in that womb. In verses 13 and 14, he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verses 17 and 18, 
David is, all, is in awe of God's thoughts and of God's vastness. And he just, man, he's just blown away just by how big God is and how unsearchable his ways. And then in verses 19 through 22, David begins to distance himself from God's enemies. He, he wants to make it clear that him and God's enemies, are, they're very different. And, and when you step back and you look at the psalm as a whole, it's easy to see how David ends with the prayer he, that we read in verses 23 and 24. As he contemplates God's omniscience and God's omnipresence, the fact that God knows everything and God is everywhere and God has created, even created him in the womb and knew him before he was known kind of thing. And how inescapable and holy God is, it's easy to see why he erupts in this prayer of God, search me, try me, know me, and lead me. See, the, the more we understand about God, the, the more we see God for who he is and his power and, and his majesty, the more we understand those things and his greatness, the more we will know that we are in need of transformation the more we'll understand that we've done some grievous things or some translations say some wicked things. See, the heart that knows God and loves God, like David's did, longs to be vulnerable and open before God, longs to be right with God, longs to be led by God. Read with me again David's prayer. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think when we look at those two verses, we can see three pleas that are either explicit or implicit in this text that are the heart behind these kinds of transformational prayers, okay? And so three things that we can pray for transformation. Number one is know me, right? And you see that, right? I mean, it's, it's very explicit in the text. Know me, God, I want you to know me. David has just, just declared, as I read to you in verses one and two, that God does know him. <laughs> he says, you've searched me and you've known me. He even exclaims that he can't escape God's presence and that God is all-knowing and knows everything. So why even pray this? Does it even make sense? I mean, why pray it if God knows it? Here's why. There is a difference in God knowing you and God knowing everything about you and you wanting God to know you and to know everything about you. There's a big difference, right? Very big difference. Search me, try me, see me. It's all about asking God to know everything about him, to search him. and to. It's about relationship. When he says search there, the word can mean explore, investigate, examine, right? He's saying, God, investigate me, examine me. When he says try me, it means put to the test. It carried the idea of, of, of metal being melted to test it, right? And that, that's a pretty dangerous prayer right there. Melt me, right? Try me, test me. Showing vulnerability. I want to be known by you, God. He says, I want you to see if there's any grievous way in me. I want you to inspect and figure out after looking at, all, looking at my life, I want you to figure out what's going on in my life. See, David's asking God to look him over, to know him inside and out. He's, he's showing vulnerability before God. He's opening up. He knows God already knows all things. He just prayed that. But he's letting God know, I want you to know all of these things. Why? Because he wants to know that he's right with God. 
and that all is well in his relationship with the Lord. It's about relationship. He wants to know and be known by God. Listen, there are certain things my wife Christy knows about me just because we've been married for 10 years. Right? Almost 11. It just from being around me and from, from dating and getting married, just being around, she knows them, right? And so I don't have to tell her those things. She sees my habits, she sees my patterns, so she knows those things. There are other things, right, that, that, that she learns about me because I want her to know those things. Because she's not omniscient, right? And so if I really want to be known by her, then I'll talk to her. And I'll tell her things that are bothering me or things that are encouraging me and vice versa. That, that's how relationships work with your spouse or other people. Same way with God. He knows everything, but the way you reveal to him that, man, I really want to be known by you, it, it, you, you, you declare that in prayer. It's an intimate prayer. God, I, I want this relationship with you. I want you, man, I want you to know everything about me. I know you do, but I want you to because I don't want there to be anything between me and you. I want to be known by you. And notice the comprehensive nature of this knowledge. Heart, thoughts, and ways. You see that? I want you to search my heart. That's the center, I want you, that, that's the center of who you are. You're, you're, that's where it's your mind, will, and emotions. Everything's kind of right there. It's where your motives live. <laughs> it's the real you. It's the part of you that even you have trouble discerning. Right? It's what, it's what makes you tick. He said, I want you to search that. When he says thoughts, actually probably a better translation of that might even be cares. It's, it really, it means troubled thoughts, anxieties and worries. It's more than just what you're thinking. It's the things that are pressing on you. And David wanted to take his worries to the Lord. And, and real prayer, oh, by the way, will be honest with God about your worries and your stresses. But it will also ask God to search you for the things that are stressing you that you don't even realize are stressing you. Because sometimes the things you're worried about, get this, aren't the things you're worried about, right? There's worries underneath the worries, right? You think you're worried about this, but the reason you're worried about that is because deep down you're really worried about this. And it's only spending time with God and his word and in his prayer can begin to peel back the onion on your soul that you can't fully understand, the word way there, I want you to see if there's any grievous way in me. That's your behavior. Sinful ways, he's pointing out here. David wanted to take his sins before the Lord. He wanted God to see if there's anything in his thought life, in, in, in his heart, in his motives, in his behavior that was contradictory to God and his will. It's comprehensive. He wants God to know his heart, his motive, everything, everything, the real him, all of me. And real transformation in our lives begins when we get real with God like David's doing here. It begins when we stop pretending and trying to hide. It begins when we want to really know God and be known by God. We, we can't fake it, right? The surface level stuff, kind of like we do at church sometimes. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Fine. How's the weather? Weather's great. You know, and it's just like, you know, and it's, and it's like the same thing. We kind of go around circles and we, and we think, well, you asked me how I was doing. I'm afraid if I really told you that we'd be here a while, Right? So we gotta, and we kind of do that with God in prayer sometimes if we're not careful. Well, God, I want you to forgive me for my sins. Which ones, right? Name them. That's intimacy, right? That's, that's real, doing real business. Just forgive me of my sins. Oh, good grief, right? Get real serious. If you really want to get real with God, confess the sins, right? Hey, God, help me with my worries. Which ones, right? Get intimate with the Lord is the point here. Know me. Search me. You have to get real with God if you want to see real life transformation in our lives. Hey, 
just forgive me of my sins and just help me with my worries. That's all fine when we're spiritual infants. But as we grow in Christ, we should really be getting real with God in our prayer lives. That our, we should be praying things to God that honestly, we don't want other people to hear. All right? Listen, da- the Psalms, David's prayers that he left for us, some of those are downright embarrassing. And through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have this, and David wrote this, and it's, it's anointed and inspired by God, and I thank God for it. But some of it you read and you go, don't know if I'd have passed that on, David, you know? Do this, destroy these people, forgive me for this adultery, murdered this guy, you know? I mean, it's, like, it, it's, it's pretty embarrassing stuff, but that's what prayer is. Right? If we're really getting real with God, some of the stuff we're saying would be embarrassing for other people to hear. But that's where real prayer happens. Know me. Number two is more implicit. It's more implicit, the text, because it's the reason he wants God to know him like this. Show me. Show me. That's where the text, where the text goes here reveals David's motive. He wants God to see if there's any grievous way in him to lead him in the way everlasting. So he wants to make sure that his ways are lined up with God's ways. Implicit here is that he needs God to reveal to him, to show him any sin or grievous thing in his life, anything that's not in line with God and his word. See, the, the word here, that word grievous, carries the idea of agony and hardship. It's something that grieves the heart of God and brings pain into your life or pain into the lives of others. And sometimes it grieves the heart of God, brings pain into your life, and it brings pain into the life of others, right? Sin does that. And he said, I want you to show me these things so I can, so I can repent, so I can confess them, so I can get right with you. We need the one who knows us to show us things in our life, who we really are, what we're really like. And the sins we've committed, even the ones that we've missed. Because listen, you and I have both committed sins and don't remember them. (laughs) Didn't realize it, right? Because not because we're that forgetful, we're just that sinful, right? (laughs) Sometimes we sin without hardly even thinking about it. Because we have this flesh, right? So we need God to show us things so that we can repent of them, so that we can confess them and to search our hearts and our motives behind the things we do. Every time our our ways have strayed from his path. And do you know how God generally shows these things to us? He generally does it through his word. It's not generally through a spiritual hunch. You know, I had a hunch today that this, you know, that's not generally how God works, right? Listen, your your hunches, even your really spiritual ones, even the ones you get when you pray, you pray, those are all subjective thoughts. Uh, there, there is no, no, no matter how spiritual the hunch, there's no way that you can absolutely say this is absolutely 110% from God. But this is objective, right? This is objective. You can know when you read this, it is from God. You don't have to worry about it. You don't need a hunch, right? And so the way God generally reveals things to us is through the scriptures. And I'm much more prone to listen to someone when they tell me, I was reading my Bible and I had this thought than I am when somebody said, you know, I was driving in the car and thinking, you know. Not that, not that the Lord's not working there. The point is, God works through his scriptures and he shapes us by his word and he reveals things to us through his scriptures. God has spoken. 
right? And so the way God generally shows us things in our lives that are wrong or that need to be corrected or ways we can grow or ways we can mature is as we interact with the word of God. And so if we're not interacting with the word of God, we're not under its preaching, under its teaching, we're not opening it and reading it and doing all those sort of things, then we're gonna miss all sorts of stuff and we can't with integrity pray, God search me and know me if we're not willing to let him search and know. Yeah, he knows. I'm talking about the showing part. See, Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Bible. I think we've got it on the screen. Hebrews 4.12, there it is. For the word of God is living and active. It's alive, it's a living book. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's really sharp, okay? Without going into any further detail. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, right? Wow. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's the key. The word of God has the ability to do something that you can't even do for yourself. And that is to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. That's incredible. So many times we'll be in the word and God will expose a thought, an intention, a motive, something that you didn't even realize and he will lay bare before him and he'll do it through the word. That's why we've got to interact with the word. It lays our motives bare. So the Bible, see, needs to be a major part of our prayer lives. We need to be reading it and thinking on it it, and praying through it, right? Right? Make the scriptures you're reading part of your prayer request. Pray through the scriptures. And when we pray without reading the Bible, it's like a one-way conversation. We're just talking God's ear off, but we're not letting him speak. We need to be in the Bible. So during this 21 days of prayer, there's scripture that that corresponds with each day. Uh, We don't want a bunch of one-way conversations. We need to be asking God to speak, and God speaks through his word. God reveals our sins and our worries through his word. He, he lays our hearts bare before us through his word. When we come to his word and humbly ask God to speak, he will because he's already speaking through his word. So we pray, God, know me. We pray, God, show me. And finally, we can see in this prayer, we need to pray, God, lead me. Lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. David asked God to lead him and it means to guide him, to, to direct him. The way everlasting is, to put it clearly, is, is the way of God. In Jeremiah, it's called, it's called the, the ancient path, right? It's God's way. It's God's path. It's, it's the way of God's eternal truth. It's the way that God's people are to walk in, the way of righteousness. It's God's will is what it is. And this prayer, when you step back and see it's vulnerable, you also see it's humble and you see it's teachable. That's what David is all through this. He's just humble before the Lord, and we see him being very teachable, wanting to be molded by God. And David is being open with the Lord. He's humbly seeking help and he's showing himself to be willing to change. He wants to walk with God. He wants to be led by God. And when we get vulnerable and when we get humble and when we get teachable before God like David does here, you'll see life change. You'll see life change. You'll see your character become more like the character of Christ. You'll see your, your passions and your desires become more in line with the passions and desires of Christ. You'll see change. Now, the word here for lead, where David says, lead me, carries the idea of authority. He's looking to and longing to obey. He views God as the authority. He wants God to lead him, not just in any way, but the authoritative way. He understands that God's way is superior to his way. You see, we need a leader who knows what they're doing. Because let's be honest, most of the time we don't, right? 
I certainly don't. We get confused. And, and we, we, we pray things like, I don't want to know what your will is and things like that because we don't always know, right? We need, we need a leader. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, right? To lead, our, to lead us in his way and in his will. We need to be led so we don't just kind of go meandering through the Christian life. God doesn't want us wandering around through the Christian life trying to figure stuff out. He wants us to be led by his authority in our lives and by his presence in our lives. It's kind of silly, but I liken it to the way I grocery shop versus the way I grocery shop when I'm with Christy, right? So when I grocery shop, she can send me with a list of five things, and it takes me approximately an hour and a half. Most of that's by accident, right? So that's like, well, I'm just... I'm out, right? And so we're just going to go, and, uh, and we begin to, you begin to explore, and you, you know, I, I end up getting, I usually end up getting lost in like the, the butcher area for like way too long, right? And the worst part's when, I, when, I, when I'm given spices that need to be bought, right? But I loathe the spice rack at Publix or any other grocery store because I just, it's all, anyway. But when I'm with Christy, right? Man, she's got that place figured out like the back of her hand, right? And so I'm the guy doing this. Like I'm reading the signs, trying to figure out where peanut butter is, even though I've bought peanut butter dozens of times, right? But I'm still trying to figure out what all the peanut butter, because I can't remember any of this. But she knows exactly, I can call her on phone. She's like, well, it's all three. It's about halfway up. It's about this way over. It's right below this. And don't get this one. Make sure you get, I mean, it's like ding, 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 ding. It's like a, like a machine, right, when she goes through there. So when I'm grocery shopping with her, She's in charge, right? And I'm just like, tell me where to go. Tell me what to get, right? And it gets done a lot faster. It's a lot more efficient. But a lot of times, we live the Christian life like I grocery shop. And we just kind of wander through the store of life, right? Kind of trying to figure things out as we go. And what we need to understand is God has given us one to lead us to lead us with authority. He's spoken through his word. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. And he wants you, he don't want you wandering around trying to figure it out. He wants you living life with purpose. That's why he's given us a Bible. That's why he's given you the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray and we need to ask God and we need to make sure God understands. God, I want to be led. (laughs) I want to follow your path. And that means you're going to lead me away from some things and you're going to lead me towards some things. But you're in charge, not me, because you've got this figured out and I don't. So David says, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your will. Lead me in your path. Listen to how Jesus said we're to pray in Matthew 6. The great, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's probably better titled the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus had no need to pray this because he didn't need forgiveness of his sins, as you'll see. Our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now I want to point something out about that prayer that we've memorized and we know it so well that this idea of authority. It's God's name we want hallowed. That means kept holy. It's God's kingdom we want to come. It's God's will we want to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God that we're seeking forgiveness from. It's God that we need to lead us not into temptation. The whole prayer is meant to be a time where we seek from God. We seek God to lead us, to direct us. We're recognizing his authority in our hearts and in our lives and in our ways. So we need the one with authority to lead, to lead. We need to recognize him as the leader. Jesus taught us to pray that way. David's praying that way. That's the way way prayer is supposed to be built. 
And there's really two things, main things, that we need to be, ways we need to be led here. We need to be led out of sin, right? Out of our ways, out of sin. David didn't want God to simply know his sin or to show him his sin, but to be led out of it. The everlasting way, God's way, is the way of righteousness. It's the way away from sin. There is no transformation. There is no life change without repentance, without turning from sin. Not this week, and I haven't done a lot of looking into it to know a lot about it, but I came across this video of Justin Bieber. Everybody knows who Justin Bieber is, right? Okay, if you don't know who Justin Bieber is, big pop star, right? Been a big deal for like the last decade or so. And he was being interviewed about his Christianity. He says he's a, a Christian now. And they said, well, you've, you used to say you're a Christian, but now you're saying you're Christian, and I don't understand. What changed? And he said, well, I used to call myself a Christian, but I, he said, I didn't understand something about Christianity. I didn't understand that it meant that I'm supposed to turn away from my sin. He said, all the Christians that I had in my life, the people that said they were Christians, none of them lived that. None of them taught me that. So I just thought it was this add-on. Yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose, from the again, rose again. But I didn't understand that there, I was supposed to repent, that I was supposed to turn away from my sin. See, listen, the Christian life is about repentance. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther said, all, all, the, all of the Christian life is repentance, right? It's a posture we begin at conversion, not one we just had at conversion, and we continue in it constantly when we sin, when we mess up, turning from it, shunning evil, turning to Christ, turning to his way. We need to be led away from sin. It's why David prayed Psalm 51. After he committed murder and adultery, David prayed to God, confessing his sin, asking forgiveness. But then in verse 10, he says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why? He don't want to do it again. <laughs> he don't want to mess up again. He wants to go away. He don't want just forgiveness. He wants change. He wants purity. He wants holiness. He wants righteousness. Let me ask you, is confession and repentance a regular part of your prayer life? And if you say, well, I don't usually have any sin to confess. Well, you've been deceived. And you need to get in the Bible and ask God to begin to reveal to you the sins you need to confess. And when's the last time you confessed something specific other than just my sin? And by the way, don't call it mistakes. You don't need to repent of mistakes. You make mistakes because you're not perfect. You commit sins because you're sinful and unholy. We need to call them sins. We need to call them what they are. And when it's evil and when it's wicked, we need to say that. We need to get real with God. And we need to ask him to lead us out of sin. But it's not just about being led out of sin. There's somewhere we need to go. We need to be led into righteousness. The goal in the Christian life is more than to not sin. Right? It's not just, like we've said this before, it's not just about a sin fast. It's about becoming like Jesus. David prayed that God would lead him in the way everlasting. Surely that would involve running from sin, but more than that, it's a destination, and the destination is God's will, God's plan, God's purposes, God's ways, the way of Christ. See, if you're in Christ, God has made you righteous and as one declared righteous because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you are now with a new heart supposed to pursue righteousness, righteous living. You've got it positionally. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He don't see all the horrible things we've done. When he looks at us, he sees that. But now we're supposed to pursue righteous actions and righteous motives and righteous behavior and righteous living because positionally we are righteous. 
Our prayers need to be consumed with getting our will and our ways in line with God's will and God's ways. Not trying to get God in line with us, getting ourselves in line with God. We don't pray trying to change God. Prayer's supposed to change us. God doesn't change. He is who he is. He don't need to change, right? Prayer's transformational for us. And too many of our prayers are focused many times on getting God to align with us, to do what we really want him to do, like he's a genie in a bottle. But we need to pray and seek to get aligned with God. That is where the real power to change comes from. You know, this prayer, these short two verses, if they do nothing else, I tell you this, they remind us of our need for a Savior. Because before we can be led, we got to be rescued. God has searched our hearts and God has found us wanting. We have all done grievous things as David prays here. We have broken God's law and broken God's heart and we need to be transformed and given new hearts. That that begins with, with turning to Jesus in repentance and faith. You know, this psalm reminds us that only one has been searched and found without sin. Only one person could pray this, and it wasn't King David. It was another king. Only, another, only one person could pray this, and God goes, searched you, looked, no grievous ways. Only one could do that. Only one has had no sin in their heart, no sin in their mind, no sin in their behavior. Only one has walked in God's everlasting way without fault. Only one has lived without grievous, wicked ways, and that's Jesus, right? And King David, he's supposed to point us to King Jesus, Right? His life and his psalms, they're meant to point us to a truer and better king. And he does that even here. I love what Augustine said about this. The great, the great writer, the great church leader, church father, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on your pronunciation. This is, this is what he said about this text. He said, what else saith he but lead me in Christ? For who is the way everlasting save he that is the life everlasting? For everlasting is he who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, it's Jesus alone. Jesus alone who is the actual way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. The only way to know God and to be right with God and to walk in God's ways is through Jesus. And in Jesus, we can be made righteous and given new hearts that desire to walk in righteousness. Jesus changes everything. So I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't remind us again and again that we need to know Jesus. You need to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Has Jesus changed my heart? Is Jesus changing my ways? Is Jesus changing me? Has he begun to change me? Has my life done the 180? Am I headed in a new direction, right? If all I did at conversion was a big 360, right, then I, I didn't get converted. <laughs> I just had an experience. Uh, conversion's a 180. I, I, I'm turned away and I begin a new walk and as bumbling and stumbling as it is, I'm walking away from sin and I'm walking towards Christ. Has that happened in your life as you look over it? Believer, Christian, Christ follower, we need to be reminded that our transformation only happens through Jesus. As we behold him, as we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we become more like him. As we pray and ask God to continue his work of transformation in us, we need to fix our eyes and hearts on Jesus and the good news of his gospel. For it is the gospel of Jesus, the Bible tells us, that it's the power of God unto salvation. Right? And so if you're going to become more like him, part of salvation is sanctification or life change and growth and transformation. So the power of God, I'm telling you, for transformation in your life is the gospel. We don't move on from it. 
We need to think on it and meditate on it and listen, apply it to our lives and our hearts and our lives. Transformation begins with Jesus and with his gospel over and over and over again. So this morning, I want us to to begin together this season of prayer, seeking God to transform us as individuals, seeking God to transform us as a church, and seeking God to transform the world around us. But it starts with us as individuals. I'm going to ask them to put Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 back on the screen, best we can there, and, and, and look at it in your Bibles. And in a moment, we're going to pause, and we're going to close our eyes, and before we have our invitation, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray that to God in your heart. Search me, O oh God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And just pause, and as you pray that, pray, God, know me. God, show me my ways and where they're wrong. And God, lead me away from sin and into righteousness. God, transform me and allow that prayer to begin in you. Let's pray.